The story of Jonah. How God's love draws us closer to him. Creating space for forgiveness and grace as he pursues us with his relentless love. <laughs> I'm super excited that you're joining us as we kick off this brand new series. We're teaching through the book of Jonah within the theme, God's Relentless Love. And I've got some really great news for you today. We call it, we're using one word to summarize God's relentless love, inescapable. Inescapable. Here's some fantastic news for you. This is what I mean by this, that even when we give God reason. Come on now, to cut us loose and to give up on us. There's something that is so tenacious about God's love that he refuses to stop pursuing us. He refuses to stop reaching to grab hold to us because he declares, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you a future with a hope. And his love is relentless in pursuit of giving you the best that he has for your life. Can somebody shout good news? Let's go ahead and type in the chat. Good news. God, I pray that you'd bless this teaching today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's take a few moments and read the first three verses. That's all I'm going to work with today uh, as we kick off this study. Chapter one of Jonah. Here's what the writer says. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And here's what it was. It says, go, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and hid it for Tasha. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tasha to flee from the presence of the Lord. Manage the reading. Now, many of you perhaps have heard of the book of Jonah, and perhaps the one thing that you remember the most about Jonah uh, is this notion of the fellow getting swallowed up in a whale by a whale. Actually, the biblical uh, rendering of that is not a whale, but a, a, a huge fish that had been prepared for him. And yet the significance of Jonah as a book and as a teaching goes even further than that. So much so that both Matthew and Mark records Jesus talking about Jonah in relationship to one of the most significant events in his own life. In Matthew chapter 12, here's what Jesus says. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And Jesus is using Jonah in order to illustrate uh, an incredible truth about his own death and resurrection that was, in, that was pending. Quite significant. I want to suggest to you that this book is uniquely designed to help you and me go deeper in our faith. Now, I want to ask a couple of things real quickly before we jump into his teaching. The first thing I simply want to ask before I jump into the teaching is that you stay with us over the course of the next several weeks and just track us 
Secondly, that you take about 20 or 30 minutes. Jonah is only four chapters and 48 verses. It'll take you about 20 or 30 minutes, if that, to just read through the entire book in one setting. And then I'd like for you to schedule, if not on a daily basis, at least on a weekly basis, kind of a regular read-through, chapter by chapter by chapter, looking for words and phrases that pop out at you, and either electronically or with your own kind of highlight, highlight those words, interrogate those verses where you find mystery and intrigue. Ask God, what are you saying to me as I work through this text? Would you do that? I want to encourage and ask for that commitment from you today. All right. Let's jump into the teaching. I'm going to only look at the first three verses. Now, echoing around us is this remarkable theme of God's relentless love. It is to suggest that the word relentless in this uh, context, I simply want to translate, means that it's unbreakable, means that it's reliable, uh, means that there's, there's room for you and I to, to experience God in some ways that maybe heretofore we didn't think that the, our relationship with God would, would permit. Relentless in his love for you, for me. So as we keep that as the context, I, want to, I just want to pull out three very kind of practical insights that really ought to shape our living uh, from these first three verses. Okay, here we go. Verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Here's the first insight. Anchor your life in the word of the Lord. Now here's what I mean. That you and I ought to live our lives in such a way that the God of creation is able to speak purpose and meaning and comfort and direction and guidance. That he's able to send revelation and illumination into our lives. Like any good parent that wants to communicate with their kids, the God of creation who before you were in your mother's womb, you were in his will, wants to regularly communicate with you, wants to regularly communicate. I mean, this is the heart of God. God wants to heart. The heart of God is to say on a regular basis, and the word of the Lord came to Arturo. And the word of the Lord came to Dante. And the word of the Lord came to Susan and Nancy. And the word of the Lord came to Herman. And the word of the Lord came to you. He goes for that. And that means that you have to have a posture in how you live your life that God can, can speak revelation into your life. And it means a few other things, real quickly. It means, I want to suggest, that you have a fidelity to what I call God's Word, God's Word to us, when properly taught and applied. Now, fidelity. And for me, this is the highest authority over which I live my life, when properly taught and applied. I keep adding those words. Well, why do I say when properly taught and applied? Because I have to acknowledge that this Bible has been used to wound and beat up and cause great damage in the lives of many people. Listen, I remember many, many years ago, I was uh, uh, just finished a message talking similar to this about the, the Bible as God's word to us. And uh, a woman came up and she gave me a chapter and verse of all the reasons why she didn't uh, trust the Bible as the Word of God, and all of it had to do with all the different ways that the Bible had been misused to wound people. And what she said was very, very accurate. And when she finished talking, I said, well, you know, I, I, I feel where you're coming from. And then I noticed she was wearing a beautiful scarf, and I said, wow, that's a gorgeous scarf. And she told me, yeah, she told me she'd gotten it from Saks Fifth Avenue and so forth and so on. It was accessorizing her outfit. I said, well, did you know that uh, I heard that at some point in history there was a fella in London not too, not too long ago, was using scarves like that to strangle women. <laughs> Killed about 18 of them. She was like horrified. 
I said, well, does that mean now that you're not going to use scarves anymore? You're going to stop going to sex fair? She said, of course not. <laughs> she's, she's got a scarf with different. I said, well, if you're not going to stop using your scarf, come on now, to accessorize your outfit, even though it has been used by, scarves have been misused by misguided people, why would you stop, come on, engaging with the Bible as God's word to you, despite the fact that it has been misused by some deranged and misguided people? Yeah, this should still empower your life. So I want to suggest that, that, that part of the way that we begin to position ourselves to hear word from the Lord is that we, we become very comfortable uh, and they're competent with God's word, regular reading and studying his word. Now, in order to, to rightly taught and rightly applied, right? In order to really get this, you need to know what book this is, what book this isn't. This is not a history book, so we don't bring... Uh, questions of history to the Bible for the Bible to answer, even though it has historical events in it. This is not a science book, so we don't bring questions of science to the Bible for the Bible to answer, even though it might have scientific facts in it. We're not asking the Bible what period did the dinosaurs live upon the earth. We're not asking that kind of question. It's packed with numbers, and yet this is not a mathematical book. We don't figure out how to do algebra or trigonometry from this book. What makes this God's word to us uh, is several things. One, it comes vis-a-vis revelation. It takes into account the, the unfolding of history, starting at the breadth of humanity, narrowing to the nation of Israel, crescendoing in Jesus Christ. And it has everything to say about uh, uh, helping us to examine the DNA of human nature. It introduces us to ourselves. It, it tells us about the great things we can achieve, and it tells us about how horrible we can be. It introduces us to the DNA of human nature, which is the same regardless of culture or historical context. And it introduces us, come on now, to the heart of a God whose love is relentless. And it tells us about his work of salvation. It tells us about his work of redemption. It tells us about a God that seeks to draw boundaries to protect and to preserve. But it all comes back to a God who relentlessly loves. It introduces us to that God who we now meet in Jesus. In that context, it's God's word to you. And then we're able to begin to filter and discern God's word that comes to us through other ways. You know, I, I've constantly run into people who I've never met before who said, I was listening to you online and what you said sounded like you were talking directly to me. I've never met them. Well, you know what they were doing? They, were, they, they heard God's word to them through the preaching moment. If you're watching me on the screen now, you're hoping to hear a word from God through the preaching moment. But God's words come through us through a variety of others, to people who are Christians, and it also comes to people who are not Christians. I remember growing up, people used to regularly tell me, including folk who did not go to church, you're going to be a preacher. That reoccurring theme ultimately proved to be God's word to me, which I did not want to hear, by the way. And then I had a dramatic experience while I was, when I was seriously praying about it, a fella, come on, you've heard this story before, as I'm leaving out from the, uh, an, uh, a gas station, in the week that I'm praying, God, is this what you're saying to me? A fella comes up to me and says, you know, God told me to tell you, he's calling you to preach his word. Much more dramatic. Much more. And then even a greater dramatic when God wakes me up one night and, and he begins to quote scripture to me. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you shall be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And it ends with three different examples how the word of the Lord came to Herman. 
God wants it said so of you. Not every now and then, but regularly. So that's the first insight. Live a life that's anchored in the word of the Lord. Second insight. Notice what Jonah 1-2 says. Go to the great city of Nineveh. This is what God tells Jonah. Preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Wow. Here's a second insight. Learn to accept correction as a means of God's grace. Now, I've got to really pull this apart. Lean in now as we talk about this. Learn to accept correction as a means of God's grace. Okay, let's pull the text apart quickly. Go to the great city. The word great in this context refers to the geographical uh, land mass that Nineveh occupied. It was huge. But it also referred to the arrogance of Nineveh. And it also referred to the, to the military power and economic might of, 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 of Nineveh in that it was the capital of the, one of the most powerful nations in the world. It was full of itself. This great city of Nineveh. Its wickedness, God says, has come up to me. What God is saying is the wickedness of this city has reached a point where enough is enough. They have, they have missed the moment. So now I'm got, I've got to act. We'll get to that in just a minute. The wickedness. These are folk who terrorized their neighbors. And the soldiers would go in and take the babies from parents and slam them up against the wall. They would cut off people's heads and arms and, 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 and use them as decorations all around the city. It was horrendously violent and full of terrorism. Wicked. And that wickedness drift into every other aspect of its culture. Wicked. Nineveh was Jonah and the nation of Israel's enemy. Uh, they had known of the, of the wickedness that it had done. And, and Jonah hated Nineveh. And this is the one that God says, go and preach to them. Now keep that in mind. Let me tell you a quick story. If you get on a plane at the Logan Airport, the pilot will tell you that he's going to set a course, or she's going to set a course for the SFO airport because you want to go from Boston to San Francisco. And as you talk to them about how the plane actually gets from one to the next, what the pilot will tell you is that even though they set a course, because of the curvature of the earth and because of the changing speed of wind and because of how that all interacts with gravity, that when the plane takes off from Logan Airport as it moves, that the pilot has to keep making small course adjustments. Fly a while, course adjustment. Fly a while, course adjustment. Fly a while, course adjustment. Or I might say course corrections. Somebody shout corrections. <laughs> Type it in the chat. Course corrections. Hmm. If they do not do that, at the end of the day, either the plane will land at the wrong airport or it will crash. Okay, I've just backed into some questions that some people turn on the screen watching me. Come on now, sitting in San Jose, came to church with. They didn't know you. You didn't frame it this way, but this was the question you were asking. How come I keep landing at the wrong airport? Come on now. How come I go from one codependent relationship to the next codependent relationship to the next codependent? I just keep landing in the wrong Airport. How come that's happening, Pete? How come somebody is asking? I, I, I have a good takeoff, but I keep 
crashing. Come on now. My public life, my, my job, my career is off the chart successful. But I've, I've, I've been through two marriages that have crashed and I've given up on marriage. I'm living with somebody now and, and, and it's in the dump. How come I keep crashing in my private life? And the answer could be, come on now, that you haven't discovered that you need to, you need to change your relationship with correction. Shout correction. Let me ask you a question. Why is accepting correction, personal correction, often so challenging for us? Why is it? Notice Jonah is going to preach. What is it? All right. Here's why Jonah reacts the way that he does. Here's what he knows. Jonah knew that God's judgment, he says, I want you to go preach a word of judgment against those folk. Jonah knew that God's judgment was intended to be a moment of grace for Nineveh. He knew that in God's heart because he knew God's character. Come on now. He knew that when God thinks about sending judgment your way, that judgment is an instrument to create an opportunity for you to make a course correction. He knew that, that, that what God was trying to set up, come on now, was an opportunity for the evil city of Nineveh, come on now, to transition from being known as an evil city to a righteous community, a course correction. And Jonah concluded that Nineveh no longer de- deserved the right to make a course correction. He didn't want to see them experience grace. But Jonah understood that when God sends a word of judgment, he's creating an opportunity for grace. It's the reverse of that insight that speaks to why it is difficult for many of us to accept personal correction or constructive criticism. What is the reverse of that insight? The reverse of the insight is this. Sometimes because of how we grew up, because we grew up in overly critical homes uh, uh, that there's always criticism, criticism or there was a standard of perfection. And unless whatever it was that we tried to do was perfect, we never got affirmed. Uh, we, no one ever gave us a pat on the back or celebrated stuff that was less than perfection. Or maybe it is our sense of self-worth is so low that, that even now we're constantly dogging ourselves out with, the, with our self-talk, right? You're a failure, you're stupid, you're this, you're that. Come on now. Whatever the context is, at the end of the day, it is the reverse of the point that I've just made that makes it difficult for us to accept correction. And here's the verse of the report. It is simply this, uh, uh, that, that we often hear correction as a moment, not of grace, but of judgment. Not of grace, but of judgment. And we react to it aggressively. Sometimes arrogantly, sometimes impulsively, we push back on it because we feel it as a moment of judgment. Wow. Now, here's the insight that I need you to get. God sends correction into our lives in a variety of different ways, but it's always for the purpose of developing us. If, you, if, you, if you're sitting in one of our personal communities there and saying, oh, just turn to the person next to you and says, says, says God sends corrections to develop you. Yes. yes. Yeah, type that in the chat. God sends correction to develop 
us. As a matter of fact, he doesn't just send it. He's built it into the very infrastructure of life itself. That if you're going to get better, if you're going to grow, you need to respond appropriately to correction. Now, let's just reflect a little bit about how God uses Scripture to drive correction and development in our lives. Notice what God says uh, through 2 Timothy uh, as Paul is writing uh, to Timothy. Here's what he says. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. See, I just told you about how God's words work, about human nature, what's going wrong in our lives. It corrects, shout corrects. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So that when God, even through his word, come on now, speaks correction into our lives, the goal is to develop you. I say correction, you say development. Correction, correction, correction. Yes, he's always working to develop you. So when God begins to address your attitude through the word of God, for example, in Ephesians, as he tries to correct your attitude with these words, get rid. Come on now, that means there's something you can do. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words from your vocabulary. God's trying to develop your attitude because God knows it's your attitude that determines your altitude. When God wants to correct your character, uh, for example, through uh, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. Come on now. His ultimate goal is to develop your character because, as Rick Warren says, the only thing you take into eternity with you is your character. When God wants to give you a dream and value, Come on, transplant, and, and, and he speaks to your having misplaced dreams and values, uh, and he calls your attention through a word like Romans 12, 2. Listen to what he says. Come on now. He's trying to develop you, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's trying to develop you because he knows that it is possible for you and I to pursue the wrong dreams. Come on now. Climb the ladder that we've designated we want to climb. And at the end of life, discover that we're at the top of a ladder that's lying against the wrong wall. Come on now, the wrong purpose, the wrong pursuit. And so he says, I want to give you a dream and value transplant because he's trying to develop you. I say correction, you say development. But sometimes God will use a wayward teenager to speak correction into your life. Come on. Sometimes he'll use an ex-spouse to speak correction into your life. Sometimes he'll use a non-Christian to speak correction into your life. At the end of the day, come on now. If you're growing, it's because somebody is speaking correction in your life. Now, let me just say a quick word. You know, I love Steph Curry. I haven't talked about him in, what, three weeks? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I saw, I saw the other day he was working out and there was a coach standing, giving him instructions and then, you know, you know, you got, you got to push a little bit more. You got to push a little more. You got to pull a little harder. I've watched his other coaches stand and tell him about his shoot, his shot, you know, bend your knees a little bit more. You got a little bit more in. None of these folk have won four championship wings, rings. Come on, none of them can shoot like Steph. None of them can play like Steph. But from their objective technical perspective, they're able to see what he cannot see. And his humility, come on now, coupled with a hunger to be better, to get better, allows him to internalize, welcome, and ask for correction. 
He's not satisfied with being great. He wants to be greater. And that means that he hungers for correction. What about you? You got to get past this notion of hearing correction as judgment. The second reason why it's difficult for us to interact in a positive way with correction, constructive criticism that comes to us, uh, is, is, is located in this point. Listen to this. We often dismiss correction based on who delivers it and how it is communicated. Did you get that? <laughs> you should take a picture of that on the screen if it's on the screen. Come on, let me just say it again. We often dismiss correction based on who delivers it and how it is communicated. Now watch this. Watch Jonah. Come on now. Watch the inside of the text tear this apart for us and teach us something here. God says to Jonah, get up and go. Preach to Nineveh. He's sending to Nineveh a foreigner. Jonah's a foreigner. He's not a part of their culture. He's not a part of their ethnicity. He's not even a part of their religion. As a matter of fact, he's not only sending a foreigner to them. He's sending one who ultimately would be their enemy. Come on. He is an enemy. He hates them. He wants to see them annihilated. Come on now. And so God is sending to them their enemy to speak a word of correction into their lives. Come on. A foreigner, somebody's outside of their context, an enemy to speak correction. And, and, and not only that, from the context, we can, we can surmise the way in which Jonah preached. He hated them. And so when he ultimately ended up there in chapter 3, started preaching, you, you can know that he used the most harsh, come on, the most dog-you-out words that he could find. And he had, he had the most bitter attitude that he could muster because he preached with great joy, with the hope that God would annihilate them. That's, that was his attitude. And yet when you, when, you, when you read about what Nineveh did when they heard Jonah, come on, somebody outside of their context, not even from their religion, somebody who was an enemy to them, come on, telling them what thus says the Lord, even though they del- he delivered it in the most harsh kind of way, they dismissed the instrument, grabbed hold to the correction because they wanted to land at the right airport. You get the insight? You get the insight? Let me put it this way. Correction is your friend even when it comes through an enemy. Yeah. It's your friend. Can I put it another way? Correction is always a moment of grace, even if it comes through a word of judgment. So many of us are saying, if you, you, you want me to respond to what you say, you got to say it a certain way. Come on. You, 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 you got to be diplomatic. Come on. You, you got to make sure you don't push this button. You don't make sure you don't push this button. Come on now. You got to talk to me this. You got to talk to me that. All this kind of way. We put all of these different demands on how people got to interact with us in order to give us a word of correction. When the only thing we ought to be asking is the only thing that Nineveh asked and the king answered is what Jonah say about us. Is it accurate? Is what God's assessment is of us? Is it accurate? The only thing you ought to be asking is, is it accurate? I don't have to like how you told me, told it to me. Now, of course, Scripture says, speak the truth in love. He's talking to you if you are Jesus' follower. He said, yeah, you need to be careful how you deliver it. Yes, you have a delivering responsibility. You ought to be diplomatic and caring and all of that. That's when you are delivering the news. 
But when you're the recipient of correction, you got to remove all that stuff. If it comes from your spouse, if it comes from a wayward kid, if it comes from a boss who is always harsh and ridiculous, come on, if it comes from a colleague that regularly gets on your nerves, but your first question you have to ask once you got to be mature enough to push through the stuff you dislike and then ask the question, is what she or he say correct? Because at the end of the day, if you don't develop the person who misses out on God's destiny for your life, is you. If you don't develop, the reason why you'll miss out on the love of your life is because of you. If you don't develop, the reason why you never climb to that next level in your career is you. Examine your relationship with correction. Wow. Then here's the third verse. We got to finish it here today. But Jonah got up and went, Watch this. In the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Here's the insight. Let me give to you. Acknowledge and engage your struggle with God. Verse 2 initiates the struggle between Jonah and God. And that is what drives the drama of the entire book of Jonah. You see, Jonah concluded. He knew that when God says, go preach this judgmented message that God was creating an opportunity for a course correction that ultimately would potentially end in Nineveh being saved. Jonah judged God in the moment. He, he essentially says, what you've just done by asking me to do that violates my sense of justice. Therefore, you can't be God in my life anymore. And in that moment, God judges God. Come on, I mean, Jonah judges God. Well, y'all ain't listening. And he fires God and he says, geographically, I'm going to go the opposite direction. Come on. And, 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 and Nineveh is to the east. I'm going west. All the way on the other side of Spain to Tasha. I'm getting as far away as I can. It was, number one, a geographical movement. Because Jonah, essentially, there in Israel, everything is dedicated to Yahweh, the God, the personal God of Israel. And so he's moving from temple to synagogue. Come on, there's the call to prayer. Come on, uh, uh, there are the, the Torah readings. There, there are Sabbat services everywhere he goes. He keeps running into, running into reminders of God. And so he wants to go to a pagan place, Spain, where nobody knows Yahweh, the personal God, so that he's not running into any reminders of God so he can dismiss God from his life. Come on now. Uh, it is a vacation of, he's vacating the space of intimacy that he held with God. He's saying, I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to talk with you. I don't want anything to do with you anymore because if you can treat my enemies that way, y'all ain't listening to me. I don't want to, now wait a moment. I'm all right with you forgiving me. I'm all right with you pouring grace into the nation of Israel uh, in order to redeem us from our wickedness. I'm all right that you have mercy and compassion on my family members. Yes, I just don't want you to treat my enemies that way. Come on now. I, 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 as a Democrat, don't treat the Republicans. As a Republican, don't treat the Democrats that way. Come on. Don't treat that, that person who's a part of the KKK that way. No. Don't treat the terrorists that way. No. 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 Wipe them out. Don't give them the grace you give to me. Watch how you judge God in your struggle with God. Ah, and yet, you need to acknowledge I'm in a struggle with you. 
I don't like, I'm fighting and I'm fussing. But you need to know that you can do that without disengaging from God. Uh, Jonah disengaged. I'm going to pick up right here. But even though he disengaged, here's the way the text talks about his disengagement. It ultimately says, uh, come on, it talks about escape. Here, here, here's what it says. So he says, ultimately, come on, he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leading from Tasha. And then he brought a ticket and went on board hoping to, here it is, escape from God. And if you read in that verse in its technical language, come on, every time you'd hit the verb, come on now, the verb keeps saying that Jonah kept going down. He went down to Tasha. He bought a ticket and he went down into the bottom of the boat. And, 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 and the boat took chart for down to Tasha. Y'all are listening. Come on now. That whenever you discouple yourself from God, you begin to go down in your values. You begin to go down in your vision. You begin to go down. Come on now. In, 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 in the sacred dreams that God has for your life. And yet, even though you decouple from him and break his heart. Come on now. He, he dare not give you up to your own devices. He becomes inescapable because his love for you is unrelenting. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. God, bless us. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I'm going to pick back up. Don't you miss next week. I got to pick up right here next week. But until then, be blessed. I can't tell you how excited and delighted I am that you took time out of your busy schedule to listen to this first message in the series, Relentless Love. And I pray that you will just stay with us over the course of the next few weeks. You'll find us online and that you will consider doing the reflection, scripture reflection work that I suggested in the message. It's an, it's an opportunity for God to break through in a deeper way in your life. Now, as great as it is that you took, a few, took some time to listen, it's even better if you'll make a step of commitment. And I just want to invite you to consider it. So scan the QR code right here. And the first thing that you're going to see is our reflection question. And our reflection question is framed so that God can do a greater work in your life if you, in fact, will do the work of the reflection question. Here's what it says. Do I experience words of correction as judgment or grace? Why or why not? Do the work. Talk to close friends and family members about this question. God is waiting to do a major breakthrough, get you into a place that you've been longing to get through in your relationships, on your job, but you just keep landing at the wrong airport. Do the work here. For somebody else, you believe that Jesus died on, uh, for your sins on the cross, that he conquered death and rose again, and this is the day that you can indicate I want him to be large and in charge of my whole life and my destiny. All you got to do is simply check on the next steps with Jesus. I want to be a Jesus follower. And if you want us to follow up with you, you can indicate that. And there's some other options there for you as well, including returning to your faith and being a part of the work of NBCC here. Now, whatever you do, Make sure you're back here next week. I am so excited about teaching through the book of Jonah. Come on now, 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific time. I'm going to be right here. Find us. If you're in the local Bay Area, there's nothing like experiencing an NBCC community local. I want to make sure you do that, guys. And when you're engaging with us on social media, share the message. Go ahead and share our worship experience. 
And, and if you're posting stuff, make sure you tag mbccbarrier.com. That way we know you're a part of the work that God is doing through us. All right? 